Welcome to You Had Me at Black. I'm Martina Abrahams. This week's story comes from Shanaka. Y'all remember Home Improvement? And the next door neighbor who would talk to Tim Allen over the backyard fence? Well, Shanaka's relationship with Miss Tramble started off just like that. Here's what happened. I want you to breathe all this in. You're listening to You Had Me at Black. Black. Right in the heart of the city. Black. Man, listen, man. Black, black. (laughs) This is You Had Me at Black, and we live, baby. Hi, guys. What's up, Jesus? Um, I'm super nervous. I never tell stories live and in person. So, who's from Oakland? For sure. Allen Temple Baptist Church, I see you. Appreciate you. When I moved onto my block in West Oakland, it was brown. Like me. Brown. And that was before Mike and Pam Kirby moved into the big blue mansion on the corner. That was before Tony 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 shot a video in their house. That was before the hustlers had to commute to do their hustle on the block. That was before before the brother was turning those loose donuts on 18th and Market and spun out and hit the convenience store and it went from regular market to millennium market, it was before the new millennium, you know what I'm saying? And we were black and southern on Myrtle and 18th. My dad's from Pine Bluff, Arkansas, really small. Who, you from Pine Bluff? Girl, yes. Case in point, Southerners like to announce themselves. <laughs> Southerners like to be with the people and um, believe in giving back. My dad's from a very small town in, in Arkansas, Pine Bluff. It's a home of a historically black college. My grandmother and my grandfather were both like strident members of the community. They gave and gave. And so my father brought that ethic to the, our West Oakland block. And what that meant on an ideal level is that our brothers and sisters' problems were ours to solve together. Beautiful. That's so gorgeous and like theories of kids. That's real. On a practical level, that means that I got to do Saturday chores at the next dude's house, right? (laughs) So I have my regular chores at my house. I'm the oldest of eight kids. I had that fair share. I did the washing and the cleaning and the folding and the laundry and the ashes and the community circles and the, you know, the facilitation and the libation for my family. And then we also had to do the, the chores for the 90-year-old neighbor next door, Mother Allen. And Mother Allen was like a real old black woman, you know what I'm saying? Like she smelled like butterscotch <laughs> and mothballs and like depression era, like stick and my first job was to like go through her cabinet and catalog the canned goods because she didn't believe in throwing things out. Like the expiration days were just suggestions of where they should go in order, right? <laughs> we were responsible for like, I would rake her lawn and then my brother would clean the leaves and then my brother would come out and mow it. It was like, this was part of our lives. It was not separate to take care of somebody near you or nearby you. And uh, Mother Allen was like, she was my first real grandmother figure when she passed away, I was heartbroken. I was crestfallen. I was sad, but she felt like 98, life well lived, well done, go on to glory, have your green beans, it's gonna be good, right? And I wasn't as sad as I thought I might be. And I, you know, I'm a, I'm a writer, so the stories in my head are all very easy, like they, they fall in line neatly. So forgive me if the, the way I remember the stories and actually how it happened, but in my memory, the day Miss Allen passed, I was in the backyard, 
I was probably like in the funeral clothes, pretending I could play basketball, pretending, mind you. This was in the Latrell Sprewell era, so I was like really focused on being like, like Carlissimo era, you know what I'm saying? Like channel my anger. Y'all ain't from Oakland, y'all know. But you're saying, if you're from the Warriors, you know, you know Latrell Sprewell was free for three well before this curry up the arm stuff, right? And I remember being in the backyard and like trying my, you know, killer crossover that Tim Hardaway had and just not making any buckets. And I hear this voice over the back fence. It's gravelly and powerful and rich and deep. And it's like, guh, guh. Hey, girl, what you doing over there? You know you ain't got no business playing basketball. And I was like, who is that? Girl, you ain't got no business playing basketball. And I look over, and it's this woman with piercing eyes and this gravelly throat. And she's like, you're a writer. You're meant to tell stories. You're meant to play poems. Like, you could do basketball on the side, but you're meant to write. And I look over the fence, and I peer at her. And I, I know I'm staring into the face of someone who's going to be a lifelong friend to me. It was at that fence that she told my father he could not plant and grow corn. We don't get enough heat in California to grow corn. <laughs> you know Arkansas. <laughs> she was like, you could grow okra. You could grow beans, you could grow peppers. You ain't growing no corn. And my dad planted the corn, and all summer long we ate okra and corn and green beans. It was also at that back fence that Miss Tramble told me to keep my legs closed to my high school boyfriend. She told me about the husband that she left in Louisiana who beat her one time and one time only. She told me about how she packed up all of her things, left the South, moved to California, forgot that brother's number, and bought a home in East Oakland became a nurse and a school teacher, bought a home in West Oakland, moved into the home in West Oakland and became one of my mentors, right? So we had this, <laughs> we had this whole relationship over the back fence. It was kind of like the Uhuru house meets home improvement where like, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I never really saw her whole face, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And she would just drop some deep stuff and then go back in the house. <laughs> like it was cool. So I had, a, I had just this wonderful relationship with Miss Tramble, and I remember even when I went away to school in New York, she would make sure that I call her. I would call my own grandmother, and she'd be like, how's school? How are your grades? How's Miss Tramble? Have you checked in with her? And so I would check in with Miss Tramble over the phone. We remained very close, and we, we had the friendship. It wasn't like with Miss Allen, where she was an old black woman. It was like she was my home girl. You know, like Issa and her friend on that show that they be on? <laughs> that was us, right? And shortly after I moved away to school and came back, Miss Tramble had an awful fall. She had this heart condition that made her blood pressure low, so she stood up too quickly, she would fall back down. If that's not a metaphor for being a black woman in America, I certainly don't know what is, right? So she went, she, she had fallen, and she went into the hospital, she flatlined, she came back to life. She flatlined, she came back to life. The third time she flatlined, my father called me and he was like, Shanaka, I know this is your friend. You should start making peace with the fact that she might not be here to counsel you any further. And I felt so angry, not in the way that it was when Miss Allen passed away, but I felt like, that's my homie, bro. Like, you can't die. And I can't even be mad that you're about to die because you're in your late 80s. And I can't even, I've never even been inside of your home. I've never even been inside your home. And so, Miss Tramble, true to her Christian, what would Jesus do mode, rose on the third day, came back from it, went inside the house, and I was determined to be her first caller once she got home. And I, I went to her house, and she was really good about stockpiling images. She didn't believe in the internet. She never really got online, so she doesn't know what it looks like there. But she was like, I'm intent on creating positive images that the next generation can look at forever and ever. And so she had these like family albums 
photo albums and binders just full of images. And anybody, any positive images of blackness would go. Obama, Mike Tyson, Kanye West, and she also had a proclivity for Lady Gaga. So a whole lot of Lady Gaga in there. She liked what she liked. She said the only two people who ever understood her were Lady Gaga and Michael Jackson. <laughs> she was like, I'm real. You don't get it, we're weirdos. That's why I like you. <laughs> and so I, I gathered the courage that day to say Miss Tramble, like, we were flipping through these albums. I was like, why do you think you didn't die? And she said, girl, I came back to clean out my closet. <laughs> and give everything I have to you. And she also said, I'm gonna make it to 100, so I ain't dying no time soon. So she's about 90, 91 at this time. And over the next decade, we went through every single item of clothing in her house. Every glove, every pair of shoes, every ring, every necklace. And imbued in every one of those objects was Miss Tramble's love for blackness and her love for me. And she talked me through every single ritual that these clothes meant. She was a fashion designer and a sculptor. And she'd made all these clothes for all of these women and every story she let me have, every story I collected and, and, and brought into my home. And so I was really emotional on her 100th birthday. She made it, man. She, she, she went back to the hospital. She had another one of those falls. She went off into her her hospice care. When I saw her in the bed there, she was like 99, and it was the first time she wasn't moving, she wasn't talking mess, and it was the first time I saw her as an old woman. And the moment my brother and I walked into the hospital room, she lit up, and all the 100 years slid off her, and she was back to being 15 and a half with me, talking mess. She was like, talking to all the nurses, she was like, tell them you mine, tell them you mine. And she was like, tell them, tell them I'm hers, tell them, tell them we together. And she made me and my brother say aloud that we were hers as her way of saying goodbye. It was probably the last substantive conversation I had with Miss Sarah Tramble. On her 100th birthday, January 31st, 2017, everyone she'd ever known called her and asked her what she loved best, what they could bring to her house as a sign of her great triumph over these years. And she said, honey, bring me some fried shrimp. <laughs> so when I got to her house the evening of the 31st of January, conservatively, there was 200 pounds of fried shrimp in the room. I say Miss Tramble probably made a good, good run at 150 pounds of it, right? Went out like a champ, and she passed away just three weeks later, um, three weeks into February. And the day she passed, I knew it was gonna happen. I could feel it in my body. I was at a dance rehearsal. I was like, I have to leave this rehearsal now. I made it home just in time to hold her hand as her eyes were closing. She never woke back up, but she danced gracefully into 100 years. I got home, I looked in my closet, and saw all of her best dresses hanging there. I picked a flowy red one to wear to her funeral, and I stood in line patiently as everyone she ever loved talked about why they were her favorite. This episode was produced by Affy Yellow Duke, mixed and mastered by Miles Dotson. Thanks for listening to You Had Me at Black. If you like what you just heard, subscribe on Apple Podcasts and leave a review.